Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the show. Great to have you along. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Sandrine Bardot. Sandrine is a trainer, consultant, coach, and speaker in international total rewards or compensation and benefits. And she runs her company, The Bardot Group, out of beautiful Dubai. So Sandrine, thank you very much for joining me today. And thank you for having me, Ben. Thank you. And dare I ask, I'm in Ireland. What's the weather like in Dubai today? 36 degrees. Oh. It's getting too hot, actually. Oh, too hot. Oh, us, I'm so yeah, sorry. It's the period where we cannot go out. Actually, it's the next six months. We will probably mostly live indoors. Ah. It's too hot. You know, like the Canadians do in winter, we do in summer. So... <laughs> Now I need to ask for my listeners, where are you from? So I'm French. I still have quite an accent, but hopefully people will understand me. Absolutely wonderful. Very good. Now, it's funny, we kind of have a similar background in the sense that I started my business life before I left the employment world. I actually started doing a blog on the HR side of things. And you do something similar. So you are the author of Compensation Insider. So it's the only compensation and benefits blog, and it's got a bit of a Middle Eastern flavor. So Let's start there. Can you tell me about the blog and why did you do it? So basically, when I started my last corporate job, I was the global head of performance and reward in Abu Dhabi called Mubadala. And I had already in my head that I wanted to, as my next career move, become an independent consultant. So I thought you need to deal with your network before you need your network, oh, right? So smart. I started by doing this blog because that was one way for me to experiment online because I had no clue and it was an adventure of its own, but also because I wanted to share some of my knowledge. And my philosophy was that even if I become a consultant and I'm going to have to find clients one day, I don't want to do too much of that push stuff, you know, where you do cold calling and you're like calling all the people on your phone and saying, Hey, do you need a consultant? That's really not me. So I was like, if people can come to me because they find me online, that would be ideal. So that was the idea. However, it took me a year and a half to get to 100 subscribers. <laughs> so that wasn't a super successful from that standpoint. But over time, once I reached a certain number of subscribers, I don't know, there was some kind of a snowball effect. It started to attract more people. And by then I had started the consulting and I was doing public speaking more regularly, I would say. And so that was kind of complementing. Brilliant. Very smart. So for people listening, I just think that's such a great idea. A few things. One is it's all about building a network or building an audience before you start. That's very, very clever. So I would recommend that to anyone who's thinking of doing launching their own business in the HR world. But secondly, even if you've already begun, even if you've been in business for 10 years, you can still make an effort to build that audience and stuff. If you were doing it again today, would you be a big TikTok star or would you be a blogger? Probably not TikTok because I think the audience is a little bit too young. And what I've noticed is that the people who follow me tend to be people who have a few years of HR experience and who are wanting to learn new things and so on. So maybe I'd focus a little bit more. I'd keep the blog, but I'd start the blog with video blog maybe and also Instagram. I today, I feel like I'm too old. I can't get into that. But joke aside, probably thinking more 
visual side of things. So, for example, you know, I'm based in Dubai. Most of us are what we call expats in this part of the world, which means we are non-national citizens. We all speak English. And initially, when I was writing the blog, I started to get some feedback after a few years. Oh, Sandrine, you should do a podcast or you should do some videos because it's difficult to read. And I had never mm. thought that, yes, English is a second or third language for a lot of us who come from countries where even the alphabet might be completely different. Mm. And therefore, reading in English requires a little bit more of an effort. And while talking and speaking and hearing somebody actually is what we do every day. So it's mm. very easy. So it took me a long time to get over my self-judging, I would say, because whenever I was trying to do videos, I was like, I hate my voice. I yeah. hate my, yeah, yeah. My, my neck. I hate my face. I was focused <laughs> on that and I just could never post. And then a few years back, I said, okay, something, you've got to do it. It doesn't matter. People will love you anyway. Go and stop posting. And that's what I did. And actually, it was a huge success, increased the number of people who followed the blog. When I started wow. to add the video at the top with the transcription at the bottom, and it was taking me less time than actually writing the thing because I'm also a non-native English speaker and writing takes a lot of more time. So what I was doing, I was doing my video, sending it to this uh, transcription company, Rev.com, and then working. And I still prefer Rev.com or another service over AI and stuff like that because it's much better accuracy. And then I would just change a few sentences here and there, add some subtitles and organize the thing a little bit and then put it on the blog. And that was faster than if I was typing it myself and writing it myself. So Brilliant. I'm still keeping my voice, you know, because I don't know how it is in the English speaking world, but in France, when we learn how to write, we learn to write in a very academic, pompous uh, style. And... That's not what I wanted to carry, you know, as an image, because that's not who I am. It was a lot of effort to write in a natural style, not in a corporate or academic style. So it's been an evolution. That's so clever. Yeah, I love the way yeah, evolution, you've evolved, yeah. the way you've delivered information, shared, and yes. adapted your situation. So a lot yes. of great learnings and getting a transcription, rev.com or otter or some of these things yes you can get a human transcriber to look over stuff or you can get the computerized ones but yeah if you ever want a good laugh get something automatically transcribed by a robot and some of the yes. stuff that comes back will crack you up it's wonderful especially stuff especially if you have an accent which is not american because they tend to be trained on american accent and then you're talking about specific stuff you know more niche in compensation and benefits and the machine sometimes goes like okay you really didn't get that one <laughs> I don't remember talking about green socks, but here it is. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I want to ask you about your services and what you do, but maybe I could jump to a specific service. So you've got an online advisory service where you give personalized advisory calls. And the reason I want to jump to that is because I was having a look at a bit of a summary of it. You've got a nice slide share summary of the service and things, but there's an interesting range of questions because you talked about in France, you're trained to read and write informal structures, let's say. And that's not what you want to be and kind of triggered the question in my mind about the kinds of questions you get and the kinds of people you help because yeah, you're trying to humanize or make practical quite a tricky area of HR, which is compensation of benefits or total rewards. So can I ask you about that, you know, retained service or how you structure it? What is the service? And then what are the kinds of issues you help people with? Yes. 
So typically, I have two levels of the retainer service. There's a retainer by the hour and the retainer by the day. And they have like two different types of audience. The retainer by the hour, it's either one hour, five hours, or 10 hours that you can use over a certain period of time. So like within two weeks for one hour, four months for the five hours, six months for the 10 hours. And typically, the people who take this service are individual HR people. HR managers or compensation and benefits professionals who are looking to get a little bit of feedback, a little bit of, let me call it coaching, but I'm not at all a certified coach or anything like that, Mm -hmm. guidance, let's say, on various questions that they have. So I've had uh, component managers saying, Sandrine, I have no idea what to put in the individual development plans of my two analysts. Can you help me think about it? I've had... Some people who are telling me, okay, I'm presenting an update on this project on job descriptions and job evaluations to the CEO for him to then take to the board. Can you review it? Can you help me rehearse it? I've had people who said, but before I rehearse it, can you read my thing and critique it in a way to make it more powerful and so on? Because you're used to doing this kind of conversation. I've had a retainer with a company where most of the work that they wanted to do, they were doing their own work in redesigning how they were doing their salary reviews, their promotions, and their incentive plan. But they wanted to have checkpoints with me in order to see that the way that they were thinking, did it make sense? Could it be improved? Were the steps that they were following making sense? Was there something they were forgetting? So basically, whenever somebody takes that kind of retainer, they can ask me anything they want on any kind of topic related to component ben, to performance management, employee engagement, recognition, this kind of stuff. So they say total rewards, but also sometimes they ask me career questions like, oh, I'm being offered this job and I don't mm-hmm. know, or I'm having a crisis with that person. How can I handle it? And so on. That's more rare, but sometimes it happens because people know that I've had a long corporate career for 20 years. And if I'm not going to brag too much, but quite successful, but at least by external standards. So they're like, okay, maybe she can give me some advice. And then the day retainer is the same. It's one to three or five days per month. And it's more for companies. So the companies who want to have access to me, like they would want to have access to a lawyer and ask me questions on company band and stuff like that. But typically, they pay for a certain number of days per month and uh, use it or don't use it. I mean, I don't spend a whole day with the clients. It's maybe three calls of two hours and two calls of one hour or something like that. So an hour is like, and a day is like eight hours of access, basically. Yeah, it's very good. I have some clients like that. And some of the stuff we get done is really powerful because you're not in there just doing stuff for them, which it turns out to be administrative or just process driven, which is not where the value is. So yes. you leveraging your expertise and knowledge to point them in the right direction so that they can yeah. use their team to make something you know really amazing. I found that really powerful. It has an impact on people. A lot of people have told me, thank you, Sandrine. This was really, really what I needed. I didn't need a whole like consulting support for a whole yeah. project for nine months but I needed to make sure I'm getting in the right direction. And your advice made me think about things in a different manner. I love that because that's what I want to do. You know, I want to help and I want to serve the HR community. So very glad about that. Very good. So you've structured it for the person. So I guess the employee or the single employee, and then you've got sort of more corporate structures. 
you're not dealing with the office manager or the entry level HR administrator. You're probably dealing with more senior people. How on earth do you structure pricing around the different levels? So basically for the retainer by the hour or the price is not at all the same as what I charge for the retainer by the day, which is more aligned with the price that I charge as a board member. So it's aligned with what I charge as a board member because you tend to ask questions that are more strategic. The companies that take it, who need the advice, tend to take it for a longer period of time also. So they take it for six months, a year. You know, we do it on a monthly basis, but most of the time they want to have a minimum period. Typically, the retainer by the day, what's interesting is that the head of total rewards or the head of HR hires me. And then if they have like multiple business lines or multiple countries, make me available for the local HR of those countries to access me as well. So it allows them to have a duplicate effect when the corporate HR team is too busy, doesn't have time, doesn't have the internal resources to do that and to give feedback on things that could be important, but that they don't have time to deal with, but just to make sure that they're on track. So that has been quite powerful as well. I have a client that has used me like that, a Saudi company, and uh, it was interesting to see how in the different countries and the different verticals, because they have like six completely different industries, the questions were quite different from one uh, entity to another, but some of them were quite happy have, you know, a consultant paid by corporate, which is available to them, you know? So that's nice. Very good. Very good. You mentioned you've got 20 years plus of HR experience, mostly in the international competence bends areas. And I saw there on your website, so you've got Fiat and you've worked with sales and marketing teams at Microsoft and Apple and telecom companies, space and defense companies. Yes. Exactly. So some really big names. How did you then work out what kind of services to offer beyond this retainer thing? So what kind of services do you offer now and what do you think you'll offer in the future? Okay. So at the moment, I do this retainer. That's not my main income. I do consulting projects. So tend to do consulting, strategic consulting. So it's more like I'm a second head of total rewards, if you will, for the CHRO. So I'm kind of helping the head of total reward that doesn't have enough time or doesn't have enough people. So I do consulting projects and they can be like, I just closed a one-year project with a company where I did an inventory of their compensation and benefits across 13 countries, 20 entities. So created questionnaires to gather the information. This company was very decentralized and is moving to a centralized model. So they didn't even have a payroll, you know, a corporate payroll plan or something like that. So they had no idea how people were paid in the different countries and so on. So they wanted to understand that. And so I put together a questionnaire, training for the local HR, then supported one-on-one interviews with the local CEOs, with the local head of HR, you know, in a guided, structured way, the same questions across Mm -hmm. all the countries what I called uh, quick fire questions, like uh, very, very quick, where I was asking the CEO to say, where do you stand between those two at level one or five and this kind of stuff. Employee focus groups in the countries where the employees spoke English or French could have been in Italian, but they didn't have any Italian uh, subsidiary, but I don't speak Arabic, so had to be English or French. And then analyzed all of that and make some recommendations. 
But I have other clients that hire me to redesign the sales incentive plan across multiple business lines and stuff like that. So that's the kind of consulting that I do. And the other thing that I do is that I also design and deliver trainings. So I both deliver trainings that have been done by others. So I'm faculty for World at Work, which is the biggest compensation oh, yes, course, yeah. and benefits association. And I also have my own trainings that I have designed and I'm designing new trainings and that I deliver either directly to clients or through training companies and they gather the participants and I get paid to deliver the training. So I don't do the marketing or anything yeah. like that. And yeah. how do you see it evolving? Yeah. So in the future, I want to pivot a little bit. So I think like a lot of people who have come on your show, COVID was a period of intense thinking mm. <laughs> for me. I also caught COVID at the end of last year and I was sick for three months Oof. and couldn't work for three months. That also makes you realize that I was very lucky. I had two large clients at the time. And because I'd been with them for enough time, they were like understanding and they were like, okay, Sandrine, you're sick. It's fine. Things are going to be delayed, but we understand. But it makes you realize, damn it, I'm a bottleneck in my own business. You know, like yeah. that was like a huge revelation for me. So I want to reach more people because when you do consulting in Compenband, the projects tend to be very long. And I think that I'd like to touch more people rather than going deep on few companies that rather touch more people and help, you know, like uh, they say this, uh, the rise. Rising tide, tide lifts all uh, boats. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Voila. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so my idea is that I would like to do more of the retainers, more of the board memberships and more of the training. So whether, you know, either face-to-face -face or online in live, but also an online academy, if you will, that I want to put on my platform where people could come and get some training on topics that, as far as I know, nobody else is covering in terms of compensation and benefits. What you find in CompenBen, you find either super expensive certifications yeah. or you find kind of a three to five days generalist of compensation and benefits type of training, which is the classic, which I offer as well, obviously. But I think that when you start thinking about some of the business issues that companies are facing, you can address some trainings that are maybe shorter, but much more targeted. And that would be of interest also to maybe people who are not necessarily compensated, but who are HR generalists, but who are facing a specific yes. situation yeah. and need to address that. So that's what I'm working on trying to do is pivot. And I'd like uh, ultimately to create an online community for the total rewards so we'll see how that will come, but that's like the next step after the next step. Yeah, <laughs> so. I agree. I think there is an opportunity there. And for listeners, if you go on to compensationinsider.com, have a look there. And for instance, in the retainer section, there's a slide share presentation yes. and it's got a list of some of the questions that you can ask. And yeah, but really? I mean, if you're a generalist <laughs> HR person, yes, you could go on a three to five day expensive program to learn about benchmarking and ranges and all yes. sorts of things but that doesn't necessarily help you when you've gone ahead and yet we're rolling out benchmarking but we don't have a particular benchmark we can use for this job here what do i do or yeah great we've got a couple of samples but there's two samples is that a fair enough sample size what should i do i think a community or some sort of you know learning platform community area would be wonderful for those sort of people so yeah i think yes. that's a great idea thank you <laughs> a couple of questions then so how are you going to make that happen? How do you do the marketing now to generate business for yourself now? And then would you do it as you evolve into these sort of 
online models? Yes. So at the moment, a lot of how I get clients is referrals. Mm -hmm. And LinkedIn is super effective. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I'm trying to share some good quality content. I have some quite high criteria on the kind of articles that I share with my audience. I want to be in a certain direction. Like, you know, more focused on innovation, new things, positive ways of doing content then, you know, like things like that, or reacting to something which I find is negative and saying, oh, why are they doing this and stuff like that. But I try to stay more on the positive side. So on LinkedIn, for somebody in Compenben, I have quite a lot of followers. It's maybe all relative, but uh, but in my area, <laughs> you're a rock a star, lot. yeah. <laughs> so people come to me through that. People see me also when I do, you know, presentations, speeches, in conferences, and so on. And in the beginning, when I started, you know, I never ask people where did you know about me you know and it took me two three years to say hey maybe I should ask (laughs) so I started asking clients and they were like oh I saw you speak at this conference on that topic and I'm like do you remember me and I'm like oh there were 200 people in that room no I don't (laughs) sorry no offense but it's okay I remember you yeah great (laughs) so public speaking is a long-term marketing mechanism if you deliver something that people enjoy they will remember it and then they will look you up and they will find you Absolutely. So it's mostly that. And then in the future, and especially if I move to the online, you know, on-demand type of training, you're not addressing the same population. It becomes more like a consumer market. It's more about the numbers game. So I am planning on using ads, definitely on LinkedIn, maybe on Facebook as well, because there are still some groups that are quite active on Facebook and people in the age range that I'm trying to target are probably still using Facebook. They are not on TikTok and stuff. I might do Instagram, but I will have to hire somebody to help me with that. That's the thing. And uh, we will see how that works. But I also believe a lot in the thought leadership. And as I said in the beginning, I don't want to be always pushing my stuff, selling, selling, selling. You have to give value if you want people to trust in what you're going to say and to really believe why should I listen to what she has to say rather than somebody else they need to feel that they have established a connection with you or that they know you a little bit or that you're saying stuff which is not 100% stupid all of the time you know so I really believe that this kind of thought leadership is also very important so a kind of a business to business influencer, if you will, from that kind of approach of, I don't like the word influencer, but this kind of similar approach of getting people through social media and getting them to follow you and therefore maybe advocate for you or buy your stuff over a longer period of time. Absolutely. I agree. If you ever go down the online advertising path, yeah, it's all around sharing information, knowledge first. And that's whenever we run campaigns for companies, that's pretty much the first thing we do is we adjust what we're offering there. It's companies that say, hey, here's an ad, book a call or buy my stuff. Good luck getting a return on that. Yes. So no, it's a yes. much, much different strategy to that. And then having follow-ups yes. and it's not hard to do, but you've got to do it the right way. Otherwise it just fails. But um, I really like that. One other question was you've done so much in your business. You've got a great set of clients. You had a couple of big clients that said, yeah, you're sick we'll cut you some slack. We'll see you in three months type thing. That's really impressive. That shows you've been successful. They trust you, all this sort of stuff. Has it always been just you in the business? Have you ever had that quandary or that decision? Or should I bring people in? Oh, yes. So basically I do have a partner 
He is my former deputy in my last corporate job. So he joined me, but basically, even though we operate both under my company, we're kind of independent from one another. So he gets his clients, I get my clients, and sometimes we refer to one another, mm -hmm. but we kind of operate independently. On some of the bigger projects, what I do is that because I have a good network, I reach out to people that I know who are either independent consultants, freelancers, smaller consultancies. And I bring on board the skills that I need for the bigger projects, because mm. let's be honest, I mean, on those big projects, they cannot be done by just one person. Some of them can, but not always. And so whenever I need, I have people who range from analysts to people who have 20 years of experience in Compenben, who come and go according to the project, their availability and so on, and give me support on those projects, sometimes facing the clients, sometimes behind the scenes, depending how they want to operate as well. To be honest, I'm very happy about that because when I started, so I just celebrated at the beginning of the week on Monday was the 10 year anniversary of setting up my company. Brilliant. And, you know, I wrote a blog post on LinkedIn and I'm very happy because in this region, as far as I know, there was already one person who was supporting the region, but in the region, for the region, there was nobody. And I knew this model could work because I've seen it in the UK. I was an expat in the UK mm. a few years ago, uh, <laughs> so that this model was possible and a thriving event. So I was like, okay, it's possible. It's just a question of educating the market that you don't need to go to the consultancies like Grand Ferry, Hay, Mercer, Aon, Willis Towers, Watson, who have... 15, 20,000 consultants, you can go to a, let's call it boutique instead of small, boutique consultancy. Boutique sounds nice. Where you can get the service by somebody who has really more experience than typically the junior consultants that are assigned to project by the big consultancies and where each client is a big client because for me, every client is a big client. So that has worked very well. And now people know in the market that you can go to independent consultancy other HR consultancies who don't have a CompenBen person reach out to me when they have a client or part of a project which has to do with CompenBen, which means that they're aware. Because sometimes I get approached by companies that I've never heard of. And also it means that the model was possible for them, even if it's temporary for two, three years. I don't know, while somebody's having a baby, we're in between two jobs or whatever it might be or somebody who wants to give it a shot and decide if that's for them or not. But this is quite nice to now have that kind of ecosystem and to be able to reach. And literally, I have some people who are in Mauritius, in South Africa, in in UK, in Turkey, in Singapore, in Pakistan, who can come on board on the projects. And that's really nice. And I enjoy to do that also because it creates connections between people and so on as well. So that's a nice way of working without having to grow the headcount as such and become a mini nurser. You know, that's not how I want to work. I don't mind growing and I'm happy to grow and I'm always looking for more partnerships and so on like that. But I'm not looking to become a huge consultancy. That's not the model that I tried. I was approached in the beginning after two, three years by a company that wanted to get 10% of my capital and they would invest a significant amount of money in my company. And their end game was, hey, recruit 40 or 50 Indians and start doing job descriptions and job evaluations. And I had to, you know, the opportunity comes, you're very flattered, but it shakes your world. I was like, 
wow, what do I do? That was the first time that I was really thinking, what kind of business do I really want to have? Like beyond just what I'm doing today. Actually, that was good because then I turned it down. It didn't happen. I'm very clear on what I want to do. And then two years ago, I was approached by another company. It was like, hey, we might be interested potentially to buy your company, you know, to integrate it with our services. And it didn't work. I was too small as a company yet, and I was not ready. But that also made me think, hey, what would be my exit strategy? Because I'm 52 and maybe I would want to retire. I love something then, but <laughs> yes, you need to think about those things and start to prepare for that. So that has started for me this idea of what would be my exit strategy. I don't just want to stop and there would be nothing, you know, I'd like to find a way that there's somehow a legacy. I don't just want to stop working at the company disappears and finished, you know? Absolutely. So we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> I'm starting to think about that and I'm actually looking, you know, for people who have gone out of their business and why they chose this way of existing. Because in my personal world, I didn't know when I started anyone who had ever created a company, been a consultant, been independent. So there was not much guidance available, you know, so it's kind of a, it's a journey. It's a journey. Interesting. Yeah. And that's great. And I'm sure when you're a little girl, you didn't say to people when they said, what do you want to do when you grow up? You said, I want to write job descriptions. So I'm glad you were thinking <laughs> about what you want. It is true that on the exit strategy side of things, if you're, a let's say, a solo consultant doing consulting, very hard to yes. sell that on because it's all in your head. So it's interesting that you're saying, all right, I'm at an age where I want to plan ahead, even though in France, they'll yes. never let me retire. That's what they're rioting on the streets for. But <laughs> it's, can I turn this into an education product, into a community, something like that? And then over time, yes. I would gradually step back. Exactly. You know, either bring someone in to take over it, or you have students who are in there who'd like to be running groups and things like that. That's the kind of the natural evolution. And then, yes, you could sell it on or take investment yes. or something like that. That's a fairly natural progression. Andrew Lawson, a recent podcast guest of mine, went through a similar process. Yes. He got caught with COVID and all sorts of terrible things, and hence building out an online version of the soft skills training that he provides. Yes. And I think that's an excellent. To end then, can I maybe get some advice, just general advice for people listening, both on the comp and bends, you know, what's a general sort of learning you might share on total rewards, how to implement or think about a strategic approach. And then secondly, what's your advice on the marketing side for people who are listening, who are looking to start or grow their HR related business? What would they do to grow and make it more successful? Yeah. So I think from a component band point of view, I would say there are a number of things that I keep repeating to the people who come to my class. The first one is best fit is more important than best practice. So I know that we tend to be obsessed with benchmarking and comparison and all this kind of stuff, but actually in component band, it's more important to design the thing which is right for you than what the neighbor is doing or the competitor is doing. And whether that solution is a so-called old-fashioned solution or something that nobody else is doing, if that's what works for you, that's what works for you, then that's what you need to do. So that's very, very important. And the second thing in total rewards is that you really need to think holistically because you cannot change how you're managing base pay. And we have allowances for all people in, uh, so like housing and transportation and so on for everybody in the Gulf region. So if you change base pay, 
that will have an impact on allowances and that will have an impact on bonuses. So you need to really think holistically that when you are changing something in one of your total reward programs, what will be the impact on the rest of the package, on the employee perception of the value proposition that you have for them? So really try to think about that. Absolutely. And I will stop now because I could talk for like <laughs> hours. So, okay. And in terms of marketing, really, I do have sometimes people who call me and say, hey, I'm thinking, you know, to establish my own consultancy. What do you recommend? And so on. And that's exactly what you were highlighting in the beginning. I think being visible, being active, because if you're not online nowadays, it's like you're not seen. You're a ghost. Exactly. So find your platform. Most likely it's going to be LinkedIn because if you're selling HR, it's going to be B2B, most likely. So that would be probably a first platform to be. Learn how to be visible and active there and try to think really of your boundaries. I think that this is one of the things that I had to learn, you know, like initially uh, when I started my business, I was taking on pretty much any client that was coming to me. You know, it was like, okay, okay, client, yes. <laughs> so, and then I started to realize that there were certain types of clients that I didn't really want to work with, certain types of projects that I didn't really want to do or wasn't the best person to do. And also to learn to say no, because when you're an independent consultant, they tend to think of you like an employee. So it's like, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And you're like, well, so I've learned to now diplomatically say, I would be delighted to send you a proposal ah, ah. Oh, I like <laughs> for that. this when it's something bigger, but also when you need to be flexible and accept to do a little bit extra because that's what creates the value for your client and makes the client either come back to you a few years later because the cycles are very long in content. Right now. It's five to six years. So you can't expect really that they will come back to you the following year to do the same project. That's not how it works. Sure. Or that they will recommend you. So you have to find that balance that works for you of what you accept to do and what you put the boundaries at. And that's really important as well. I love that. Let me ask one follow-up question to the marketing side. You mentioned that referrals is probably your biggest source of you yes. know, sales leads. What's your advice to people who want to get more referrals? Because it's hard to do sometimes. That's a great question. I've been lucky. I do give quite a bit of my time for free to the HR community. So I spend a lot of time when I meet new people, getting to know them, you know, doing online meetings and so on. And I gave some advice to some of those people and now they're like a fan, you know. So every opportunity they hear of, they go like, talk to Sandrine, talk to Sandrine. And they send people my way, which is great because I did not ask them to do, but I'm super grateful, right? And other times it's former clients, but I don't have at the moment really a specific technique. And it's actually something, I mean, once I go online, I will put an online referral automated affiliate, as they call it, right? System where, hey, if you help me, you use your link, you will get 25% or yeah, 20%, blah, blah. People will yeah. get a, no, no, no. I want no, to I be fair things, to yeah, people, yeah. but uh, yeah. For the big consulting, the referrals, I mean, it's the classic word of mouth from clients. So now I'm starting to ask people that I help for free and also clients, can you write a recommendation for me on LinkedIn, which is like kind of a first step. I don't think I need that much more, but it keeps the profile being fresh and more relevant. So that's more for that than anything else. Yeah. Good question. Actually, I might have to book a session with you to discuss. Ah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but you've raised a bunch of really good ideas there and in giving your time for free, getting fans. I told you earlier, you were a rock star and you've got your fans. So that's proof. But yeah, that's smart with the LinkedIn, getting referral recommendations and things like that. So that's, yeah, it's really good. If people want to learn more about you and or Compensation Insider or your business itself, what should they do next? So they can go onto my website. It's compensationinsider.com. No www. Otherwise, you'll get down some rabbit hole there. And they can find me on LinkedIn. I mean, it's often the easiest way to reach out to me or by email or by WhatsApp as well. So sometimes I take a little bit of time to come back because I don't always see the stuff immediately, but a little ping on WhatsApp and that's good. Away you go. Very good. Excellent. Well, Sandrine, thank you very much. You've had an amazing career in 10 years, so an amazing business too. Congratulations and thank you for sharing your story with me. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.